good, everybody? Yo, it's your boy, Nick Swisher, and welcome back for episode three of the Nick Swisher Show. Man, we've got another absolutely amazing episode lined up for y'all, but I do have to get back in. I got to check in on everybody's Halloween, because for me, Halloween is one of the best times of the year for my house. I've got two little baby girls, and obviously, they dress up every year. Joe and I will dress up every now and then. This year was absolutely crazy, so we did not. But my two daughters, we are watching Zombies, Zombies 2, Zombies 3. I mean, anything zombies related on Disney, it's right up our alley. So for my daughters, they dressed up as werewolves for this year. Winter, and oh my God, it was absolutely amazing. They were so like... Joe put the makeup on their eyes, the whole nine. And this year, instead of using regular uh, Halloween bags to collect our candy, we went old school on them, y'all. We went old school pillowcase sack. I'm telling you, I feel like you could carry so much more candy in those things. It was absolutely amazing. Most of the time, we do dress up as group Halloween costumes. But this year for Joe, obviously, just finishing up filming season three of Sweet Magnolias. It was absolutely crazy, super hectic time. So we weren't able to do that. But if you go on my Instagram or Joe's Instagram, you can definitely see some pictures of our daughters. Listen, man, my two daughters absolutely love dressing up. They love being princesses. And that's why this show was a little different because they were werewolves, which we were working on our howl. And uh, I, I still feel like I got a lot of room to grow with my howl, but this is what I got, you know? Howl! where I'm at so far. I'm working on it. It's a work in progress, but me and Emmy, we always have competitions on see who could be a better howler. I'm getting there slowly, but surely I hope everybody had an awesome Halloween. I also, I don't know if anybody's ever checked it out, but everybody's seen Jimmy Kimball's skit to all the kids. Uh, Sweetheart, I ate all your candy last night and it's absolutely hilarious. Don't think that we didn't think about doing that because I'm thinking if my youngest daughter, Sailor, woke up and had no candy, I don't even know what would have happened. It would have been absolutely just craziness. There would have been tears. It would have been emotional big time, man. So I think for myself, I don't know if anybody else did that. But if you did, I commend you because I didn't have the heart to do it. I tried to, I heard about something different this year. It was called the Switch Witch, which I guess was you can offer uh, a little bit of money for your kid's candy. And so obviously we put up, we were like, hey, do you want to, you want, you know, what do you think about the switch, Witch? and both of my daughters put a Nick's on that. They were like, no way. We want all the candy. And that's what I knew right then and there. They were swishers. <laughs> so I hope everybody had a Halloween. I uh, had the best Halloween. I hope everybody was safe. Uh, I hope everybody's children, kids, I hope everyone had the best time ever, man, because Halloween uh, around the neighborhood is always an amazing time. I also had one another story that happened to me and the family uh, this past weekend. We just made the huge switch from uh, Georgia back here to Florida. Obviously, like I said, Joe just finished up filming season three of Sweet Magnolias. Could not be more proud of her cast, crew, the overall success of the show. It's been absolutely amazing. And they filmed that in Atlanta. So we were there for five months and we pack up the entire house. Now, this is how it works in the Swisher house. When we drive back, uh to florida what usually happens is i drive the vehicle with all the non-living animals all the non-living things right which means i have nobody to talk to my escalate is absolutely jammed to the top just to the gills full of stuff and joe gets to drive all of our living things right our two daughters our four dogs and our cat prince rainbow sparkles so as hectic as 
Her car is, I'm not sure if I'd want to switch with her, but I definitely do get bored from time to time. I called Joe on that trip, on that six-hour drive. I think I called her 19 different times. So I was like, hey, I'm really bored. Does anybody want to talk to me? But one of the craziest things that happened, I don't know if anybody's ever driven on I-75, but if you have, it's crazy town, man. I mean, it's like an unbelievable highway. There's just things going on all over the place. And so I was involved in something I've never been a part of at all. In my 41 years of existence, I have never seen a full-speed car chase up close and personal. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you this. I'm driving in the passing lane. I'm a little swifter driver than most people. And so my wife, Joe, she's right behind me. We're caravanning in the whole time. All of a sudden, from the left side, I catch a glimpse of this car. It was a Dodge Charger. Because everybody knows Dodge Chargers, bro. Those things are so fast. This thing was going down the, I'm in the passing lane. They passed me on the left side. And I swear to God, they had to have been going 150 miles an hour. When it drove past me, when it passed my car, the whole car rattled. And everybody knows how scary that is, especially when you don't even hear it coming up. So as that car passes, what happens next? Here come the police. Boom, boom. It was like a Dukes of Hazard, like one of those things where you're like, is this really, really happening? So as we're doing that, I'm like, Joe, hey, we got to get in the middle lane. Let's give the police some some room to move over, right, and get past us. So as we get in the middle lane, then that's when all hell broke loose. Then all sorts of police were coming on both sides of the vehicle. My daughters, I can hear them in the back just absolutely going crazy because I'm talking to Joe on the phone. So as we finally got everybody calmed down because it was so intense and it was cars were going by so fast that's such a scary thing to be right in the middle of as we finished that about 20 minutes later guess what happened next now all of a sudden another dodge charger this one happened to be a black dodge charger the first one was an army green dodge charger this is on friday go look it up i I don't i don't know exactly what happened or why they were driving so fast or why they were trying to get away from the police like they were but listen, then all of a sudden, another charger comes down the other way, going about 150 miles an hour. So obviously, something had to have happened. But it was one of the more intense slash, like, exhilarating drives I've ever been part of. <laughs> and like, I just I think to myself, like, dang, I've been alive for 41 years, and I've never seen anything like that. So for anybody that's been part of a huge car chase like that, you know exactly what I'm feeling It's scary. Obviously, you want to say a prayer for everybody involved, even the people that are driving those chargers, because the last thing you want to do is see them spin out and obviously cause a huge wreck. And who knows what could happen after that. But I'm glad everybody was safe through that. We made it through. We finally made it back to Florida. And here we are back at the house. Obviously, you can see I got a little different backdrop right now. We're in the process of creating a new Zoom room. But that's where we're at, man. So I'm back. I'm happy to be back here in Florida. It was an amazing trip. It was a lot of fun. But also, too, man, I got to let everybody know, man, I got to lead into my interview for today. My guy, Dr. Foote, is absolutely amazing. And in my career, there's no secret, man. I had a lot of ups and downs. I mean, I think everybody knows that. And struggling on a stage like New York is not the easiest thing to do, especially in the playoffs at Yankee Stadium, man. I mean, I think everybody's watching the World Series right now. Everybody sees Philly just going off the charts. The amount of energy in that stadium has been absolutely amazing. So, during the off season, man, I had, you know, I had to get a grip on who I was and, and, and take charge and really meet myself where I was. 
and have an understanding that maybe at that point in my career, things were getting a little more mental for me than they were physical, right? I always felt like I had the physical strength and the ability to do it. But if you don't apply the mental side to it, you're never going to reach your full potential. And if I knew, you know, if I knew about all this stuff back in the day, I would have started doing it. But I was the type of guy where I was like, dude, you want me to go to what? Therapy? Oh, that's like a no-no word, man. I don't want to do any of that, man. I'm the type of guy that holds all that shit in, man. If I, if I need to deal with something, I'll just push it down as far as I can. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do the same thing. But after talking to a few friends uh, and my wife as well, that's when I knew that I needed to talk to somebody. And taking that first step is not easy, man. Understanding and realizing that maybe you need some therapy and you need to talk to somebody about your problems, it's not always the easiest thing. And that's when my guy, Dr. Jeff Foote, came into my life, man. He's the co-founder for Motivational Change Outpatient Programs in NYC, Long Island, Washington, D.C., and the Berkshires. My guy is nationally recognized clinical research scientist and was a psychologist for the New York Mets for 11 years. That's how he came into my life. And he continues to work individually with athletes today, obviously myself included. I love him to death. He's one of my favorite human beings on the planet. Ladies and gentlemen, bring my guy in, the man who saw me at my lowest and brought me back to the top. My guy, Mr. Dr. Jeff Foote. Doc, what's going on, my man? Hey there. Great to see you. Great to it's see good to, It's good to see you too, man. How you holding up? You doing all right? I'm doing good. Yeah. Things are always a little intense in my world with uh, addiction stuff, which I can talk about, but yep, I'm good. Yeah. Listen, man, you you have worked with athletes just like myself, as well as countless other individuals, and you've done so much for their lives, not only in their careers, but in their overall lives. Like you said, dealing with addictions, you know, things like that, dealing with failures, depressions, the whole nine. How did you get started in this career? Well, it's a funny thing. I, I didn't start in sports at all. Started in uh, addiction treatment, and uh, and as I said, that's a whole another universe. I've been doing that for thirty plus years at this point. Um, research, uh, clinical work, starting programs, all kinds of stuff. Writing books, um, and twenty years ago, uh, uh, somebody approached me who's in sports psychology stuff and said, "Hey, um, Mets are looking for somebody. You want to step into that?" And I was like. I don't know, (laughs) or what the hell, Uh, and it seemed interesting, and man, it's really interesting, and it's, what's weird to me over the years is how much overlap there is in just helping people, um, which, you know, we can get into, but it's helping people, so uh, they could be struggling with substances, they could be struggling with being a a family member or somebody who has substance problems, or they could be an athlete who's getting the shit boot out of them because they're... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a slump for 50 straight games. Um, and, and a lot of things overlap with each other in what do we do? How do we work this? How do we move forward in a way that's going to be helpful? So anyway, it's, it was a really nice addition to me professionally. And in my heart, this is like a whole different group of folks to work with folks like you, uh, just a pleasure, you know, and it's just like, yeah. And I, I you know, I don't mean to minimize it, but when I spend all my days working with people who are who, who are dealing with issues of life and death, dealing with issues of how do I how do I perform better in my profession? It's like fuck yeah, that's yeah. now that's that's a, a little bit of easier lift and more fun, um, <laughs> um, and 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 uh, uh, a nice way to 
to to take a different route for a couple of hours or days, you know. So of course, of course. Listen, man. I mean, like I, I I've been so excited. Uh, to interview you only because I give our listeners a little background on myself, as well as a lot of tips and tricks along the way. You know, when you and I first ran into each other, you know, 10, was it 10, 12 years ago? You know, like I, I was having a hell of a time in my career. Obviously, I was to the point where I, I didn't know what to do. And that's a very scary spot to be, especially as a professional athlete. You know, I was just traded to the New York Yankees in 2009, and we were so lucky to be able to win that World Series. My season started off great. April, May was great. And then all of a sudden, June, July, and August hit, and I was absolute shit. You know, I was doing my best to try and be the best teammate I could be, but struggling and failing in front of 50, 60,000 people each and every night. It, it's mm-hmm. not a fun thing to do. And I don't think a lot of people have an understanding of how that can really dig in and absolutely just absolutely just destroy you from the inside out. And you know, yeah. you, you struggle in New York, you're on the front page or the back page of the post. I mean, one of the two. Yeah. And so I, I think for myself, I think I had that understanding and I was so happy uh, from a little coercing from people in my life, I was able to throw the meatheadness away and actually start digging into exactly what I needed. I I wanted to take that next step. And I knew that off season, I needed some help. So when you and I first started working together, you know, what was one of those things that kind of popped out that you saw in me and you were like, man, I I really think I can help this kid out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you just described it pretty well, actually, which is um, uh, the biggest part of this to me is are you open to something different? Um, are you willing to consider some other things? Um, and, you know, I mean, the, the painful part of that is often the only way that somebody might get ready is, um, is the pain level has gone up too high, you know, and they're like, they've been knocked down to their knees and they're like, okay, okay. All right, fuck it. I'll just do it. I, you know, and, and this, I talked to a shrink. Are you freaking kidding me? All right, <laughs> fine. Um, and, you know, if for the number of people, the number of years I was working with with baseball players, like, uh, and I, I just think this is true of any athlete, and I think it's actually just a part of human nature. So it's not an athletic thing, which is, can I can I get myself to a place of being open to the fact that I don't have all the answers, um, and can I can I leave myself open to some new ideas and to change and to going through a process that I don't know how to do? Like that's freaking hard. As you said, you're used to being successful. You've done it your whole career, you know, um, and you've done it by like, I'm going to just work outwork the next guy and no one's going to work harder than me and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. That's part of, of moving forward and getting ahead. Um, and then there's shit that you don't know, you know, and, and, and avenues for, for getting better or for changing that aren't, aren't on your radar. And they'll never be on your freaking radar if you can't take that step that you took, which is to say, I don't know what the fuck to do. Excuse the language, but sure. I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, um, if you're not, if you never get to a point of saying, I don't know what to do, then you'll never know what to do. Um, when you walk in the door, again, a little shoving to get in the door, but when you walk <laughs> in the door, you said, I don't know what to do. And then, then we've got a lot to talk about, you know, I'm like, okay. Fuck yeah, Let, let's talk yep. about it. Let's yep. figure it out. I don't know either. I don't know what to do either. So let's put it on the table and push it around and see what will be useful to you. Because this is you, it's not me. This is your process, but you've got to be open to that, to that process. And there's a lot of parts to that process, but 
if you're if you're not open to it, then there's no point in talking about it. You know, no doubt. And, 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 and I can honestly say from our time that we spent together, the, the things that you taught me, the, the biggest thing that comes off from what you taught me was the process. I, yeah. I had played six, seven years in the big leagues and had been successful and I had no process. Like, yeah. how is that even possible? That you're able to, to to go through that and you had no idea how you were actually because you're an incredibly good athlete. That's why. Well, it, it's it is, and maybe that was one of those things where it was like, you know what, I'm just going to outwork the next guy and I'm going to yeah. work the hardest and I'm going to be yeah. the best I can. But if you want to take your game to the next level, and I knew this firsthand because I started working with you, I instantly became an all star. I instantly had success. And that was because you gave me the foundation and the process of an understanding of exactly what the fuck I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing, but you gave me that process. And for myself, I'll never forget. We were starting. You gave me an in-the-hole routine. You gave me an on-deck routine. You gave me an in-the-batter's-box routine. Stuff that I talk about to my young players to today because that was such a humongous part in my life. But also branching back to what you said a little earlier, I guess I never thought about it in a sense of, I didn't feel like I was giving up, but it was almost like I hit that wall. And I feel like most people out there have hit that wall before, but maybe they don't know it. I I guess it was just such a huge thing in my life that I had no idea what to do that I would, I I was reaching out. I was reaching for somebody to pull me out and, and you were that guy and you taught me about the process of the of, of how you're doing what you're doing and it was such a huge changing moment of my life and, and and i still continue to use those processes to today yeah 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 and again as as we were saying like i think you were willing at that point to slow down long enough to go let me look at what's going on here um let me take a breath um i'm, I'm not getting the results i want and you know uh, i think kind of the initial conversations we had were just talking through that idea of, I want, I, Nick, want a freaking outcome. It's not happening. How do I get that outcome? Which is the natural response of everybody. You know, I, I'll take it back to my world of addiction stuff. I'm working with a family and their kid is is using freaking opiates. Like they're terrified out of their mind. We want a different outcome. We want them to stop that. Okay, that's the outcome we can't actually force outcomes in the world. We can create conditions that'll get us to that outcome more likely that allow us to keep walking towards that outcome, but we can't guarantee those outcomes. Um, and you know, you walking in the door and going, things are in the shitter. Like I, I need to get back to those outcomes. I wasn't, all, I was, I was, I was doing great in April and May. Like what happened? I need to go back to there. Like, yes, yes. I can't put you back there, man. Like, and you can't, what you can do is start to develop ways of moving in that direction and sticking with those ways, whether you're getting to that exact place again or not. So that whole, you remember that phrase, NATO, not attached yes. to the outcome, right? Yes, yes. Really hard to do. Like, I really don't like this outcome I'm getting right now. I really want that outcome. Uh, it's it's like going up to the plate and going, I really want to hit a freaking home run. Uh, okay, <laughs> join the crowd, but you're not. Yes, no that. doubt. Uh, so how can we help you have a good at bat? And I don't give a shit if you get a home run or not. I know you do, but like, that's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, were you focused while you were up there? Did you do stuff that led you to be focused up there? Even though this is a really hard situation to be in and the crowd is yelling at you and they think you suck and everything else. How do I actually stay in my own body 
and do this the best I can, regardless of what the freaking outcome is going to be. And that's what you're re referencing is like all that preparatory stuff is how you move closer to outcomes you care about. You don't do that by going, I want to be able to play Beethoven like a freaking concert piano player. Like, okay, too bad. You can want it all you want, but if you don't have a process and you can't practice it, you're not going to get it, you know? Yeah. Um, That's kind of one of the things I've noticed is even now, you know, that my baseball career is over, but now being a father and one of my, you know, my greatest treasures is my family. And that's kind of one of the things that I've talked to with my daughters. I mean, my oldest daughter, Emmy, she's nine. My youngest daughter, Sailor, is six. And I, I always feel like I'm going back to the process of everything. Yeah. I feel like, you know, I've got, you know, young daughters and they're kind of growing up in the instant gratification era. You yeah. know, Google is right there. They need to know what nine times eight is. You know, you go Google what's nine times eight or Siri or 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 whoever it is. Yeah. You know, the one thing I also have noticed was with with my minor league players with the New York Yankees that, you know, sometimes kids are, are scared to try new things because they may not be good at it. They're so outcome driven rather yeah. than the process of it. And and if I feel like we were more process driven on trying to you know, really lock into the process of how we're doing things. That's how I got better because yep. you noticed something in me. You were like, well, you didn't say it in these words, but it's what it felt like. Hey, Swish, you need to calm the fuck down. You need to start breathing a little more. You need to get yourself a little more focused. You're yep. all over the place. You can't, you can't be scattered all over the place. You have to be focused. And that's what you did because I remember the first thing that we started talking about was breathing. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what I did when I started, when I got in the hole. Yeah. I had to stop all my conversations that I was having and I started to go into my process. And the yeah. one thing that I noticed about that was the bigger the situation, it didn't matter because I had a process to fall back on. Right. And that's what I would like to teach young people that, yeah. hey, listen, things are tough and they will be very difficult. But if you have a process of how to get to that outcome, it doesn't seem as daunting of a task because yeah. it's little baby steps yeah. rather than taking one huge giant step. You feel yeah. like you're taking little steps to get you to that final destination. Yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it. I, I think, I mean, uh, the, I still I still cite this as an example. Some of the stuff you and I were doing um, and, and I've done with other players. I talk about that when I'm doing addiction treatment too, um, mm -hmm. with whether it's with the person struggling or families. It's the, one of the first exercises we did related to that breathing was um, go to a batting cage go to a, 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 a electronic pitcher and, and, and just watch. <laughs> I remember. Watch. Hardest thing I've ever done in my life, doc. And I think you looked at me like I had freaking three heads. <laughs> like, look, dude, I want to be a better hitter. Why the fuck would I just stand there watching pitches without even having a bat in my hands? Like, so that you can start to develop an awareness of yourself. Because if you don't have an awareness of yourself, you got nothing. Like you have no process if you have no awareness of yourself. So you have to know when I go and stand in that stand in that batter's box, um, what it's like to be standing there, and and what am I experiencing, and how does my feet feel on the ground, and how does my body feel? I don't want you thinking about that when you're facing Jacob Degrom. <laughs> no <so>. chance. <laughs> um, but I want you thinking about it now because that's a process, and it'll it'll disappear into the background eventually. But for now, you need to be able to go in there and go, shit, I'm tense. Okay. And there's nothing happening here. I'm in a freaking empty batting cage and there's nothing happening and I'm tense. All right. Good to know. How do we, how do we deal with that? How do we help you stay focused and relax here now? 
um, and take it one step at a time. Obviously, there's no outcome happening because there's nothing happening. We're standing in a batting cage with an electronic pitcher. There's no outcome we care about here. So it's practicing not being attached to an outcome by not having any outcome going on at all and then slowly building ourselves up, you know? Yeah. Um, so that I'm now I'm getting pitching. And now, I'm, I, you know, I think we then practiced having pitches come in and not swinging. What's it like to see the freaking pitch come in? Yes. <laughs> Shit, I could have hit that. No, it, no, no. It, it really was. It, it was just, I think you were teaching me how to be aware of myself and my yep. feelings and my surroundings. You know, you taught me to be grounded. You, you, you gave me confidence when I didn't have confidence. Like, Doc, you have like this crazy ability uh, to relate normal life to sports, right? Like, I mean, you, you deal with addictions and substance abuse. I mean, that, that's not sports. Yeah. Do you find that there is a, a, a correlation between the two? Do you find that there are very, there, that you kind of coach people uh, similarly uh, in a sense? Yeah, you know, I, I have spent years dealing with, with the folks themselves who were struggling with substances. Now the last 10 years doing a lot more with families. And man, if you ever want to have your heart broken, it's trying to help families help their loved ones. Uh, and we're in the middle of a freaking 10 year run of people dying at ridiculous rates. It's just horrifying um, at the world of substances right now. But that aside, I, I literally did a group last night and I had a, a, a mom say, I have a process. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I have realized that what matters to me is to stay connected to my kid, to be a loving person, to be reliable. Okay, so that's a process. Yes. How do I notice when I get angry, when they've lied to me? How do I bring myself down and not lose my shit? Okay, same as how do I go into the batter's box with 50,000 people and not lose my shit? Right. Like it matters. Otherwise, I'm not going to do well here. How do I be a mom when my kid came home drunk freaking again? And what's of value to me is to stay connected and not lose my shit, which is going to ruin the next three days with them and for me. Um, and this woman said it was it was awesome. She said, this has been the worst year of my life. And I'm eternally grateful for the process I'm doing and for the way I'm engaged, meaning the outcomes are not what I would have said I want a year ago or two years ago, which is my kids drug free. We're all fine. We're a happy family, just like we used to be. We're all good. Like that's, that's not the outcome that has happened, but what the outcomes that are, are happening are I'm connected to my kid. We love each other. He knows yeah. he can rely on me and I'm fucking miserable and worried all the time. And I'm eternally grateful that I'm doing what I'm doing. Like that's to me, that's the, that's the translation into real life. Um, I may not improve my batting average, but I'm not a miserable human being. I'm not hating on myself every day. I'm not yelling at my wife, you know, when I come home from the game because I had a crappy night again. Like those are bad consequences if I'm not paying attention to myself, if yes. I'm not aware of myself. Okay, you're a baseball player. Great. You're doing well. You're not doing well. Fine. Great. And you're destroying your life. It's funny, I, I just just earlier this morning opened up some CNN or something. There's like something with Tom Brady talking about mental health issues. I'm like, I, so I read it because sometimes athletes talk about mental health issues in ways I'm like, ah. And he was like, yeah, you know what? We don't pay attention to, my, to our mental health. We're kind of screwed. You know, um, and, and athletes are expected to just be, you know, 
bastions of good mental health. Like, what's the problem? Like, you're making a bazillion dollars and you got the lifestyle <laughs> of, a, of a, you know, of a famous person. Like, shut up. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of an attitude. And I think athletes internalize that. Like, I should just shut up. Like, you know, what do I got to complain about? You're a freaking human being. You suffer just like everybody else, you know? Um, and if you ignore that and go, I'm just supposed to just freaking push through it um, and get this done. And the only thing that matters is his outcome is my batting average. Yeah. Like you're kind of screwed. Yes. No doubt. I mean, no doubt. I mean, listen, I, I feel like, you know, you, you have so many different people that you work with, right. From athletes to, you know, like I said, uh, you know, uh, um, people that are struggling with all sorts of addictions, the whole nine and everybody has different personalities. That's yeah. my biggest thing. I, I think for myself, you know, I think that's why you and I vibed out so well, because listen, I, I, I walked into the first meeting with you and I, and, and my, my guard was up. Yep. I like, I, I don't know you, I, you know, I, I how am I going to trust you right off the bat? Yep. But you did. So, it was so amazing because it's like, you made, you made me feel like so at ease and you were like, Hey, we're going to fix this. You know, we're going to get to this. How, how do you deal with so many different personalities and so many different, I guess, you know, sort of problems, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We have a thing that, and again, back to how we help families. One of the things we say to people is the, the person you're trying to help, their behaviors make sense. So it might be that they're using substances and it seems insane to you and dangerous. And, but it, it's for that person, it's about their life and what makes sense to them. So I'm using, uh, I'm drink way the hell too much because I can't sleep otherwise because I have a uh, fused disc in my back and I got pain because my wife passed away last year and I'm grieving because uh, I'm having a bad year at the plate and I don't know what the hell to do otherwise and I just ruminate about it all night like okay those make sense to me um, so if I can take each person and go what makes sense to you about your life you know um, like it's not for me to say I don't know why you're suffering I don't know what your issues are but let's let's figure that out for you, not for some idea of what you're supposed to be doing or how athletes are supposed to be or how substance users are supposed to be. It's like we're all freaking different, man. And and substance users are all different. There's not like one person and there's this thing called an addict like that's freaking crazy. Um, it's, it's a human being who's struggling with substances. It's a human being who's struggling with their batting average <laughs> or their teammates or their wife at home who's sick of all the travel or who's worried about them coming close to retirement and like, what the hell you're going to be around the house. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> totally. Right. Like we're all humans, you know? And for me, I'm just saying, and personally to answer your question, like, how do you deal with different people? It's like, you deal with them as different people. Right. Like, I don't know who, I didn't know who you were walking in the door. You could be a, a lunatic. You could be angry. You could be angry that you're there. You could be desperate to want to talk. I don't know. You know, and um, as I said before, you were really open. And as you said, you were you still had your guard up because you time. should. You don't know who the hell I am. Yes. Um, you walk in the door, some some shrink and it's like, what the hell? <laughs> um, is this guy going to start telling me a bunch of crazy stuff or whatever, you know? Um, but you were open enough to go, let me check it out. Let me see oh. if there's something useful here for me, you know? Totally. Well, I feel like people walk into, you know, a shrink or a psychologist and you just expect that they're just going to like try and fix your problems. You know what I mean? Like they're going to like, Hey, you got to do this. you got to do that. And you didn't do that. You know, you were kind of like, Hey, let me help you out. Maybe we can bring in some different processes into your life. And at that moment in my life, I mean, this is kind of one of the, the bigger parts of the interview is I was stuck. 
I, and I think there's a lot of people out there in this world, Doc, that are stuck yeah. and they don't know how to get unstuck. Yeah. And so for myself, it gives me goosebumps. It almost, it almost brings a tear to my eye because like it, it's a, almost emotional because it was such a drastic change in my life. As yeah. confident as I was on the surface when I first met you, I felt that I gained that confidence on the inside. And that's yeah. what makes me the secure individual that I am today. So I, I guess the biggest thing that I would say for all the people that are out there that are stuck at this moment, maybe it's still coming off of the pandemic, still trying to figure out what they're doing, you know, what sorts of tips and tricks other than getting back to the process, you know, can you tell our listeners to help get these people unstuck? Yeah. Well, you know, a big one, and again, it circles back to what, what you were talking about, what it was like to walk in that door. Uh, and it could be, it doesn't have to be a door of a mental health professional. It could be the door of your friend. It could be the door of your partner. It could be the door of your of your, uh, uh, you know, your priest. I mean, is, <clears throat> let me put it this way. I, you know, we have a culture here. Um, it's really a big thing, certainly in sports for professional athletes or athletes in general, I think. But it's just also a human thing, I think, in our culture, which is our relationship to pain. Like the human condition, <laughs> not to get too poetic, but the human condition is freaking pain yeah. and pleasure and lots of stuff, but it fucking includes pain. And if we all walk around going, no, I got it. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for asking. I'm good. I got this. No, you don't. Right. Like, how could you, I don't have it. You don't have it. Sometimes I have it. Sometimes I don't have it. Uh, and um, whether I'm a psychologist or a baseball player or an astronaut or, or, or I, I, I pick up, you know, I bus tables at a restaurant, um, I got my own problems. And for us to be able to have some compassion for ourselves and others, but like we talk about compassion in this culture, there's not a lot of it around. Right. You know, at the, at the moment, there's a lot of shit talking constantly about <laughs> all those other people who are not like me, who are bad people. But, um, but, kind of zooming out from that, like, can I give myself a little compassion and go, of course, I'm having a hard time because of the pandemic, because of any number of things that are difficult. That's not being a crybaby. That's right. not, you know, giving up. That's not being soft. That's going, I got a lot of stuff going for me and I got a lot of pain and I don't have to deny that and put it away and pretend it's all okay because that will crush me. And can I tell somebody, can I reach out? Can I, and as I said, doesn't have to be a mental health person, but am I willing to say, which is what you were willing to do? I don't have this. I don't fucking have it. Um, got any ideas? <laughs> yeah, <know>? no doubt. <laughs> um, it's almost like you're reaching out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's funny. And so what, that's what I took from the Tom Brady thing too. Like, we don't have it. You know, we're all human. Um, and, you know, a lot of the advice, like with, with athletes that they get when they're stuck in a hard place, in a slump of some sort or other, is uh, just relax, man. Just go out there and have fun. Yeah, like I'm it's like, that easy. Are you kidding me? <laughs> uh, have fun? I'm I'm batting 170. I'm getting booed in front of 50,000 people every, right. full, every at bat. It's miserable. Exactly. Oh, I'm going to have some fun with that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, like that's not helpful, right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, and can we slow that down and go, of course you're freaking miserable. Can we take this one step at a time? 
Um, and have you pay attention to different things than what you're paying attention to? Because all you're paying attention to now is the outcome. Exactly. All you're focused on is what's happening at the end of what you're doing. Right. Bad outcome again, bad outcome again, bad outcome again. And everybody's watching me have bad outcomes. And that's the only thing I can pay attention to. Well, if that's the only thing you can pay attention to, those bad outcomes are going to continue. If we can it's like if the, the only thing up, you're looking for is a red door, the only thing you're going to see is a red door. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. If you that's think right. about it, right? Right. That's exactly right. Yes. And, uh, so like, and it's hard. I mean, it's the hardest time. It, it, you know, I, I actually, the other thing I remember about you and I working together is you walked in the door, your hair was not on fire. You knew things were, were hard, but it wasn't, I think it was off season and it was yes. not like I'm in a batting slump. It was off season. And I'm like, thank freaking God. Like <laughs> somebody asking for some help when their hair is not on fire. Yeah. Cause I, the fact is it's a learning process. And what you and I spent three months doing before the, before spring training was working on this weird shit of like standing in a batting cage with nobody there and stuff like that, you know, like that's when you need to practice stuff when the temperature is not too high, right? You know, we have people practice communication skills with their kids who are using substances. We ask them to practice with their sister first. We ask them to practice when their kid is not drunk. We ask them to do it when the heat is low because you can't do it. You can't right. learn things very well when the pressure's on. So, I mean, that's the thing I, I wish I could get across to many athletes is, dude, like there's a whole nother way of, of taking stuff on it's not in your skill set. Doesn't make you a, a, a bad person or an idiot. Just makes you somebody who's never been trained in any of this stuff. And it's going to take you time. And the time to do it is not when your head is in a vice. You know, like you're not going to be able to learn it then. No, totally. I mean, and I could not have I could not have run into you at a better time. I mean, literally, it was off season. I mean, we had just won the World Series. It was yeah. such a magical time in my life, but also a time where I was like, you know what? I don't want to ever go through that again. Yeah, and gave me that ability to not go through that again. And so, listen, I guess I got to ask, I mean, for athletes like myself, as well as, you know, normal people, we have psychologists that, that we go to for help, people like yourself. So I, I guess I, I, I want to know. So who do people like you talk to? Right. Do psychologists <laughs> have psychologists? Do you do you have people that you lean on? Because it, 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 it takes a village to get to where you want to go. Right. And I figure if you didn't have people in your life to help you get to where you are, man, I'm, it, this world's hard to do it by yourself. Yeah, I resent that, man. I don't have any problems. So I'm not sure what you're talking <laughs> about. Sure, sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I uh, it's funny. I do a, a group with parents every couple of weeks uh, uh, whose kids are struggling with substances. And, um, you know, my wife sometimes is like, I think I thought you were going to stop that after one year and you've been doing it for four years now. Like, you can't, don't you need the free time? And I'm like, yeah, I do need the free time. And I got to say that for me, I may be the leader of that group, but that group is like a bright spot of my of my time. Like I go to that group and I can I can open my heart. I can be with everybody. We can we can talk about uh, our common humanity and what we all struggle with. I don't have to be like fixing a bunch of shit, um, you know, and we can all be sharing hard stuff, easy stuff, good stuff, bad week. You know, it's like, it's all okay. Um, we don't, I don't have to keep that front up. I don't have to be the guy with the answers kind of thing. Um, 
And so for me, that's finding places where I can actually actually um, allow the pain in of me and other people and have that be okay. That's a good place, you know? And I think a lot of us in this culture shy away from it. It's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm trying to make a good life. I'm trying to have good stuff happen. Got to keep that bad, uncomfortable stuff away. It's like, <laughs> dude, you got a half a life if you're keeping stuff away, like that away. Like that, that hard stuff is what makes life freaking awesome. You know, I'm in love with somebody and I'm terrified they're going to leave. Can I eliminate the terror? No. If I eliminated the terror, I probably wouldn't be in love. It wouldn't be worth shit to me. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Um, and so to me, it's finding that place to, to be human. Well, um, I, I can imagine just the burden that you carry for not only the things that are going on in your life, but people also you know, that you, that you work with. I mean, listen, I, I know how big your heart is and and I know the, you know, the way that you go about doing what you do. So I, I, I guess, you know, one of the biggest things that I also would want to know is, you know, do you have any mentors in, in your life or, or someone that helped get to get you to where you are? I, I can, I, I've had a million different mentors, you being one of them, not, not only a psychologist, but also a mentor, because I felt like I learned so much from you. One would be my, my double A manager in Midland, Texas, my guy, Rich Sparks, right? Who, you know, I had the, uh, at the time, uh, Keith Lippman, who was the, you know, uh, head of the player development came down to double A and was like, man, Swish, man, we, we really need to calm you down. You need to stop being air Swish. We need you to be vanilla Swish. Well, fucking hey, Greg Sparks said, Swish, fuck that. Be air Swish. Be yeah. you. And that was kind of one of those things where I was just like, wow, man, like this guy really believes in me. Like yeah. he knows what I'm capable of doing. So is there someone in your life that really kind of helped you get to where you are or helped give you the confidence to know that, that you were capable of doing amazing things? Yeah. You know what? Can I make a comment on what you just said though? Also first. Sure. Cause I think it's just such an important way to put it. Um, Cause you and I've been talking now and we used to talk about this a lot, the whole, the whole idea of a process. Um, um, and, and that's what you just described. Like, if you think about, you just described the best mentor that you can remember. And what was the characteristic of that mentor? It was somebody who came and said, no, 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 no. I believe in you. Yes, yes. You are. Not this other version we want to make you be. And what what a successful minor league baseball player is supposed to be acting like. And you better do that because that's how you're supposed to be. Like, that guy came and said, fuck that. Like, I, I see you. And I want to see that guy. And I'm here to support that guy. Like, and that's what a mentor does. A mentor doesn't come and go, you're fucking up, dude. Like, you got to push yourself harder. You got to get that back down there. You got to get these outcomes to, that we all want for you and for us. He said, look, I want you to be you. That's not an outcome, right? That's a process. Yes, yes. That's who are you? What are your strengths? How do we capitalize on that? How do you allow that to come out? And that that's beautiful, you know? That's what a good mentor is. A good mentor is somebody who's going to support that, not somebody who's going to be berating you and humiliating you and pushing you to be something else other than who you are. Um, which makes me think in terms of your question, I, you know, I worked with a guy once, uh, uh, a psychiatrist. I was running a, I was running a drug treatment research project in, in Harlem in a methadone program. And I loved those folks I was working with. And, and, those folks are some of the most most difficult lives that you would ever imagine. People are trying to trying to work their way through and trying to hold on, and it's just like heartbreaking. Um, and 
So anyway, I was supposed to be running all that and I was doing the best I could and so forth. And I was like in the nitty gritty of it every day. And he took me for a walk. This is in New York City. And he took me for a walk down Fifth Avenue. And he said, I just want to tell you something like you're a really smart guy. You got it all together. That's why we hired you. Nobody doubts that. You don't have to prove shit here. Okay. He's like, and your job is not to do the nitty gritty everyday thing. I want you to zoom out and like get a bigger perspective. Like that's what's important here. Um, and not to lose yourself in every little detail. And I thought that guy is actually seeing me. And yeah, he sees so, you, exactly. Yeah. And he's like, I want that part of you because I know that's there and that's an important thing. Um, and I want to let you know that you should take have permission to use that part of you. Like you could be air swish, it's fine. Like you're not supposed to be this other thing that other people you're telling you you're supposed to be. I appreciate you running the project. And could you please use your other skills here? Because I see right. those two. And again, it's that sort of that idea of like a mentor actually seeing you for who you are. It's like a parent. Like, I'd like my kid to be more focused on school. All right, maybe they're not. Maybe they're freaking ADD <laughs> and they yeah. can't do that. So what are we going to do? I can double down and say, oh, no, no, you got to push harder. You got to sit at that desk. You got to pay attention. You got to stop talking in class so much. Like, I can't freaking do that. Yeah. So that's not, you're not being a good dad. Like you're trying to force me to do something. I, I don't, I can't do it. Like, can you see who I am? I'm a seven-year-old guy who can't sit at his freaking desk. <laughs> bro, I was that kid, bro. Right. I was that kid. Right. And it's not helpful to have the teacher yell at me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, so that's a parenting lesson too. How do I want to show up as a parent? How do I want to show up as a mentor? How do I want to show up as a manager? You know, you're you're helping develop young players now. Who am I as Nick Swisher in that role? What am I bringing to that? Am I like yelling at a bunch of people and saying you're fucking up? Like, no, you know that's not helpful. Like, <clears throat> you're able to give them some breathing room. You're able to guide them and invite them to learn how to do some stuff differently. Like, that's that's how you help somebody. You know? Yeah. I also feel them. like feel like I've tried to take, uh, at least on my coaching side, I almost feel like I've taken the Ted Lasso approach, right? You know, just really just, you, you know me, I'm up at this phase of my life, you know, I, I'm a lover and I understand how hard the game actually is. And yeah. so for myself, I just, I try to bring a lot of positivity. And it's funny because you're talking about being a mentor and I'm like, holy shit, like, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm yeah. trying to see these players and these people for who they are on the inside. Yeah. And really promote that person to come out and be the bold individual because yeah. you got to be you. You got to trust yourself because yeah. when you're uh, when you're at home plate and you're in a monster game only from experience, there's nobody to lean back on. Guess yeah. who you got to lean on? You got to lean on you. Yeah. So you better be completely secure in who you are and everything that you're bringing to the table because if not, then doubt will set in, and I think that's when shit starts to go south. Correct. Well, uh, I'll, I'll put it another way. I'm, I'm in a big situation. Doubt is going to set in. <laughs> well, like, obviously. Could I, how could I not be nervous? Okay. But that's not the issue. The issue is not how do I be 100% confident every second? Like, that's not reality. That's not being a human being. How can I, as I say often to folks here, like, there's the nervous part of me. I'm going to have that guy sitting, riding shotgun with me. I'm not kicking him out the door of the car. He can ride shotgun. I just want him grabbing the freaking wheel 
when right. I'm trying to perform. But I don't have to muzzle him or pretend he's not there. Like, this is hard. This is really hard work, whatever that work is. It's really hard to be a baseball player. It's freaking hard. You know that. A 17-year-old doesn't want to know that and doesn't want to think about that. Yeah, right. But you can know that and still perform really well. And a matter of fact, the more you know it, the better you can perform. It's not a confidence breaker. It's makes the, It makes me be more aware of everything that's going on. And that's what you want. Big word, awareness. It keeps coming up. It's being aware. It's, you know, it's, I, I even think of like um, Ricky Bobby when he puts the cougar in the car. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you got to learn to drive with the fear. And yeah. even for myself, it's like I used to push all that stuff away because yeah. I didn't want that. I didn't want to focus on the negative stuff. There's enough negativity in the game of baseball. I mean, you succeed three out of 10 times. Baby, we're going to Cooperstown. Yeah. So, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like having an understanding and an overall awareness of what the fuck is going on in your life. Whether you're an athlete or you're a businessman or you're a pastor or whatever you do in life. Yeah. If you have a great understanding of the things that are happening in your life, life is easy to, it's easier to attack. You yeah. feel like you're in way more of a, way more of the driver's seat yeah. rather than being that guy in the passenger seat when you've got all sorts of things going on in your mind. Right. And I'm trying to keep stuff out and I'm just trying to make sure nothing bad happens. And I'm like, right, that's, that's not a way to navigate. It's, it's actually a, you're going to do worse if that's what you're navigating, if that's how you're navigating, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Because you keep pushing uh, and everything away. To be able to, right, to be able to, and again, it's a funny thing. It's, it can be hard to understand, and this is where it takes practice. That's why you're not going to be a concert pianist in the freaking first time we show you the music. Right. You've got to keep practicing this stuff. And, and to understand and practice the idea that I can be uncomfortable, I can be anxious, I can be struggling, and I can allow for that all to be true. The more I allow it to be true, the more I can put it to the side and function. You know, and as you and I used to talk about, and, and it's the same for any athlete, any position. And I talked about this endlessly with pitchers also. Like, I'm anxious. I'm worried out there. Okay, of course you are. Where do we take that? Where do we put that so that you can know that that's true and still be focused? And as I said, when you're standing there and Jacob DeBrom is pitching to you, you have zero margin for not being focused. <laughs> yes, exactly. And if you're if you're worried about the fans and you're worried about the freaking umpire who punched you out last time and it was a fucking outrage that he did that and what was that guy have it out for me and and is the manager gonna like bench me next next game if i don't hit get a hit this time like if that chatter which is of course natural if that chatter is just going full speed i'm, I'm not gonna do well here Oh my God, Doc, I, I got to jump in because that's exactly what was happening to me during those 2009 playoffs. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, if I don't get a hit today, I'm going to get benched. And guess what happened? That was what I was focused on. And that's exactly what the fuck happened. Yeah. I was benched game two of the World Series. Yeah. And it was absolutely devastating to me. Yeah. And that was at that moment where I was just like, oh man, like, I, I don't know what, I don't know where I'm at. I don't know what I'm doing. This is such an uncomfortable position. Yeah. But just because you're in a shit storm doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Right. That, yeah. and, and that's life. Like that's going to happen. I understand that now. Yeah. I wish I could tell my 28 year old self all the things that I know now. It would have been a whole hell of a lot easier of a ride yeah. than, you know what I mean? But if you yeah. have that understanding of where you're at and what's going on in your life, yeah. it's easier to handle those things. But if you're focusing on all the negative stuff, then all that negative stuff is actually going to happen. And I can tell you firsthand that shit happened to me. Yep. 
Yep. Yep. And it, right again, it, and that's if we go back to the beginning of this discussion, all I can focus on is the outcome and all I'm getting is shit outcomes. So I got nothing else to look at here, you know? Um, and you know, if you, again, you take it back to how, how old are your kids? Six and nine. You take it back to a six or nine year old and something bad happened in school or with a friend or with a, with a, uh, test they took in, in, you know, third grade or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's, it's natural. They focus on this bad thing and it seems like the whole universe, you know, and it's not the whole universe. It's not helpful to say, don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about that. That's not so bad. But yeah, it is bad actually, dad. It's like my friend didn't want to play with me today. Like that's the worst thing in the universe for me right now. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let me, let me hear that. <laughs> um, and let, let's take a breath and let's just sit with the fact that this is really a bummer and you feel really like you just want to cry. Okay. And we can cry and that's fine also. Yep. And then we'll move on actually. But my first job is not like, honey, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Have fun out there. Like that's the equivalent of saying that. <laughs> yeah. some fun out that there. ain't going to help. <laughs> right. right. Don't worry about that girl. We'll get a new friend. Oh, that's not helpful, dad. Right. Don't worry about that at bat. No, it's, it's really scaring the shit out of me. I'm going to get benched tomorrow. Okay. Like let's allow for that so that we can actually focus on other things and zoom out and go back to school the next day and not be totally ter terrified that nobody wants to play with us now and go back, back up into the batter's box next time and not be totally even more terrified we're not going to get a hit. It's a yeah. really hard thing to do. No, because it keeps piling on. Yeah. The fear keeps coming yeah. and it just keeps coming. And then it's yeah. almost like quicksand. It's yeah. like almost too much. And you that's can't, great, and once you're in over your head, it's, it's already too late. That's a great, that's a great analogy. And, and just helping people learn a process of like, you know, we, we can, we can rake ourselves over the coals about what happened or we can learn from what happened. We can spend a lot of time ruminating and worrying about the future instead of planning for the future. And these are different things. And, and those are the kind of skills of like, actually got to like start to think about things in a different way mm -hmm. and take, take this seriously instead of just being in a panic and figuring I'm just going to ratchet it down even more and I'll just try harder. Like it's not an effective strategy, you know, from, for much of anything. It's, it might be a good short-term strategy. Um, because it feels good at the time, right? right. You're just kind of like, oh, I can do this at that moment, but you're never solving the problem. It's just a Band-Aid. It's like you, you're not actually fixing the cut. You're just yeah. stopping the bleeding. Right. I, I probably said this to you back in the time when we were working together because this had happened, I remember, in the early 2000s. Um, uh, there was somebody got traded uh, to the Mets and was having a shit year um, uh, and was getting just mercilessly booed. And it's just like, it's so freaking painful, like to watch somebody go through that. And you just want to take them out of it and you want it to be better. You want to fix them. Uh, and I remember that person coming in one day to talk to me and going, you know what? I, I figured it out. I I, I, hear, I got this. I, I don't give a fuck. I, I don't give a fuck <laughs> what the fans think. I just don't, you know, I don't give a fuck. I'm like, uh, that's not true. Um, <laughs> that's not true. But okay, go for it, dude. Like that's your new strategy. Um, and they did that for a couple, three games and got booed mercilessly still. And then it's like, they broke again. It's like, okay, it's not true. I do care. And it's horrible. Like, right. So can we just as step one go, this is horrible. <laughs> um, I can't make the fans stop booing and neither can you. Yeah. Like I, we have no control over that. What do we have control over? Right. What process do you have control over? Cause it's not the freaking fans. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's also not whether you're going to get a hit this time. 
That's not in your control either. Can we create the conditions which will make that more likely? Will that lead to other things that you care about, like people not hating on you? Yeah. But we can't make those things happen. We can help you breathe. <laughs> we can help you actually be more focused when you're at the plate rather than just in a freaking freak out mode. Right. That's what we can control. Um, and pretending you don't give a fuck. And I don't care what people think. Like, that's not true. That's right. not how humans operate. <laughs> so of course true. we care. Yeah. You know? Of course we care. I mean, everybody has that care factor. It's in there, right? Yeah. And I, I bet you absolutely lost your shit when he came in. It was like, yo, I got to figure it out. I feel like that's like my buddy when we go play golf on Wednesdays. He's like, no, 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 I got it this week. I figured it out. And he shoots a 105. And I'm right. like, bro, you've yet to figure it out. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. And again, like in, in, along the lines of what you're saying before about working with each person, however, however they need to be worked with, like, I'm not going to say that guy you don't. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, this is a big deal. It's a hard moment for you and you got an idea. So let, let's go with it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll see. And you know what? Maybe you do have it figured out. Maybe you don't give a shit. I seems unlikely as a human being. It doesn't seem, doesn't seem right. <laughs> we'll give it a shot, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we can learn from that. Actually, that was not a helpful strategy, you know? Yeah. And they kind of figure it out. Yeah. I love that, man. I love that. Well, Doc, I got one more segment of the show, and it's absolutely amazing. Now, this started off with a game that my daughters and I play together, right? And we have this book. It's called Would You Rather, right? Mm -hmm. Now, rather asking, like, you know, rapid-fire questions, I have It's called Swish or That, right? This or that, swish or that, okay? And they're very simple questions, and I think we'll have a really good time with them, okay? okay. Here we go. Would you rather fly or be invisible? Fly. Yeah, bro. No doubt about it. Who wants to fly on on in commercial planes nowadays, bro? Come on, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. Would you rather on those planes? I just like to fly. Period. <laughs> just to take go, off. go wherever you want to go. Yeah. Would you rather have a window seat or an aisle seat? Window. Oh, window. What do you you nestle up on the window? I like looking out the window. I like to have that thing up the whole time. <laughs> you got to see where you're at, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Are you a uh, turkey sandwich guy or a PB&J? Ooh, brutal. If you just left it a peanut butter and milk, I'd be going there. But... Oh, okay. I, I, hey, PB&M, dude. That sounds good to me. You put that jelly on there. I'm out of there. So you're out. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite? Is it spring, summer, fall, or winter? Favorite season? Well, being as I'm sitting at our residential treatment center in the Berkshires in the fall, and it couldn't be more beautiful, I would say fall. Oh, bro, me too, man. I'm a November baby. When the leaves start changing, it is by far absolutely glorious, right? Uh, yeah. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Dogs. Guacamole or salsa? Oh, 100 times out of 100 guacamole. Oh, no salsa for you? Not a chance. And my son, is the biggest, my son is the biggest salsa fan on earth. And I'm just like, I'm not going there. <laughs> You're like, I'm out, man. You take a salsa. I got the guac. Right. I, that's one place where I don't want to have the pain. I've all the pain outside. <laughs> so I can control that pain. That's it. That's it. Okay. Uh, is your at nighttime or morning time? Mm. I'd say morning. 
morning. Yeah, me too, bro. Ever since I had kids, bro, I'm up the crack of dawn, bro. Making breakfasts the whole night, dude. Like, I dominate mornings now. Back when I was in my 20s, I was waking up at like noon, one o'clock, you know? So now I'm able to be up and enjoy the mornings, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Are you a coffee guy or a tea guy? Coffee, coffee, coffee. Oh, yeah, bro. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you like to eat out or do you like to eat in the house? Uh, Both. Oh, both, huh? Okay, a little bit of mix and match. I mean, you are in NYC, baby. Some of the best restaurants in the world. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, my last wife one. Is, and my wife is Brazilian and she makes some of the best dishes. And so oh. eating it is pretty good also. also so. Oh, yeah, I'm coming to get some of that food, Doc. I'm coming. I'm coming. <laughs> and the last one for the first episode of Swisher That, would you rather see the future or go back and change the past? Ooh. Ooh. Uh, ooh. I'm going to have to do a pretty strong Neither. Oh, you don't want to do either. You want to stay with what it is. Uh, the going back to change the past is feels like the opposite of going. Let me actually just live with reality here, man. Like right, right. bad stuff and good stuff happened. I don't have to make that go away. And seeing the future is like holy shit. That that feels. I don't want to do that. Yeah, now that to, seems scary to me, to, dude. It seems I want scary. To open the door and see what happens each t- each morning. So. <laughs> I love that, man. I love that. Doc, you've been absolutely awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time today. I mean, not only have you been uh, such an influence on my life, I'm hoping you are a major influence on a lot of our listeners. And for all you listeners, man, take the advice, develop a process that can bring you out, right? And be your best self and lead you toward the positive outcomes, right? And focus on the mental state to help get you unstuck. Admit when you don't have it. That's the biggest issue. Understanding where you're at in your life. And remember to give yourself some compassion. One of the greatest things that Dr. Foote has ever told me was swish. If you keep raking coals over your back, you'll never be as good as you can be. So if you constantly continue to keep pounding yourself down day after day, you will never reach the greatness you are looking for. Listen, we're all trying to get through this thing together. Life is hard. But listen, as long as we got people like Dr. Foote in our world that can help us and teach us some of these processes. Doc, we are so blessed to be able to have you on here, man. Absolutely fantastic. Couldn't thank you enough, man. Absolutely love you to death, man. And thank you so much for being on here today. Love you too. Been a pleasure. Man, talk about a guy that invested in me when I wasn't really invested in myself. Man, I needed somebody like that and could not have been more at the right time, man. Dr. Foote, you were amazing. And I can't thank you enough for being in my life. Listen, things are a little backwards today. Most of the time we do the Swisher Nations at the beginning of each episode. But after interviewing Dr. Foote, I had to think and I had to re-listen to that interview because it brought me back to some amazing times of my life, whether there were struggles or successes. And so today, this is the Swisher Nation for today's episode. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. Let me say that one more time for everyone that didn't really hear me very clearly. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection, Buddha. Now, let me tell you what that means to me. It means to me that you will never reach the glory land. You will never reach your full potential unless you can give yourself grace. It's a lot easier for all of us to give others grace rather than ourselves. So at the end of the day, love on yourself. Bank on yourself, because at the end of the day, you're waking up with yourself each and every morning. 
Now on to one of my favorite segments of the week. People are fucking rad. Oh my God, we've got some amazing people lined up for us today, man. Number one, I'm going to start off with my guy, Dylan Brennan. He's a 16-year-old kid that realized that the lockdown was taking a toll on his mental state as well as his friends. The fact that he knew that at 16 years old is absolutely amazing. So what did my guy decide to do? He decided to write his own fantasy book to get him and his friends away from all the video games they were playing and back on the books. My man, for you writing your own book, writing your own fantasy book, as well as bringing your friends in with you, my man, you are a leader, Dylan. And for that, my man, you are fucking rad, bro. Now, what about my two guys? My phys ed teacher, Sam Balto from Portland, Oregon, and my Minneapolis, Minnesota dad, Devin Olson. Listen, these two cats have organized what's called bike buses. And what bike buses are, are huge groups of kids riding their bikes to school together as a community each and every day. I think this thing started off with maybe like 40 people. I think it's up to something crazy. Like 160 people are joining these bike buses. Listen, man, it's absolutely amazing. For everything that you, my man, Sam and Devin are doing in your communities and for all the kids in your communities, man, you guys are leaders and you guys are fucking rad, man. Now let me tell you about my guy, Jason Schneidman a barbershop owner in California. He's going around and giving homeless people haircuts. Bro, he is digging into people that need it the most. And the magic this guy creates by trimming these individuals up, whether it's a nice tight fade, maybe it's just a trim on top. What he is doing is he is giving these individuals a glimpse of what they used to be. And it is helping out tremendously. You know, sometimes we look into the future for motivation, but man, looking in the past is just as motivating. Jason, for what you're doing for everyone out there, my man, and giving them a huge smile on their face, my man, Jay, you are fucking rad. And last but not least, my girl, Zoe. She's in Colorado. She is playing for Thompson Valley Volleyball. Listen, if you guys haven't seen this amazing video, it will bring you to tears, no doubt about it. Zoe was in a huge rollover car accident about a year and a half ago. And on senior night, she worked her absolute ass off to get to the point where she could serve the ball from the back line over the net. And if you see this video, the explosion from the fans as well as her teammates, it's absolutely magical. It just, it's so emotional. Zoe, for everything in your leadership and showing everybody how hard of a worker you are, for the overall the way that you're showing people that things can be done, you are an absolute inspiration for all. And Zoe, girl, for what you're doing right now, sweetheart, in your community and for all your friends, you are fucking rad. Listen, man, next week I've got one of the swaggiest managers to ever manage the game of baseball. And you should know who I'm talking about right off the bat. My guy is a three-time manager of the year. Ladies and gentlemen, his name is Mr. Joe Madden himself. We talk about so many things, man. He's so articulate. And the way he explains things makes so much sense. We talk about his approach to coaching. Listen, I, I love the guy. I want to learn as much as I can from him. Why he was so successful with underdog teams and what's next for his career and for his family. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, dude, the love that I've gotten from each and every one of y'all for this show has been absolutely incredible. I can't thank you guys enough. Keep spreading the word about the Nick Switcher Show because we have some amazing things in store for y'all, I can promise you, man. Ladies and gentlemen, I will see you back here. Same time, 
same place right here on the Nick Swisher Show. Keep spreading that love, y'all. See you next week. Oh,